Morning, family. As we begin our Advent service this morning, hope is like a light shining in a dark place. As we look at the light of this candle, we celebrate the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Before the scripture reading this morning, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are the God of hope. Walk with us on this Advent journey as we prepare to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. Father, during this time of Advent, let us remember to fix our eyes on the only reason for this season. That is, your son, who is the hope for a broken world. May you fill our spirits with the hope of Christ's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture reading for this morning comes to us from the book of Romans, toward the end of that. Uh, you can find that on the Peabach Bibles in front of you, if you need those, on page 949, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, page 949, Romans 15, 13. This prayer and blessing from Paul to us. Word of God says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Trevor Nelson. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross Church. And um, it's good to see you here. Glad you uh, made it out in the weather. Um, it's always fun to see a little bit of snow on the ground for the first Sunday of Advent. So um, it's that time of year. The weather's changing. It's getting colder. Uh, you know, we're moving into Advent. We're starting our Advent series this morning, as Max uh, talked about. And... Our tradition here this time of year for, for all of us here on Sundays and, and in our homes throughout the week <clears throat> is to build the anticipation towards Christmas as we move day by day closer to that day, to Christmas, and the celebration of Christ's arrival. And we all have, you know, traditions this time of year, right? We put up our, uh, we put up our Christmas decor, our Christmas tree, all that stuff on Friday. And between now and Christmas, our family will do Advent devotionals, we'll watch Christmas movies, we'll, we'll do puzzles, we'll make Christmas treats, we'll hang little magnet ornaments on the Advent tree calendar. Um, the warm sweatpants have come out, the, the warm house shoes, the lined house shoes have come out. Um, we unfortunately don't have a, a wood burning fireplace anymore, but we, our fake one will be on um, between now and Christmas probably every day. Um, I'm sure you have traditions in your family, things that you've, that have been handed down to you, uh, or maybe, maybe you're like us, uh, my wife and I, who have been coming up with your own traditions, um, with your own kids. And I, I thought it might be fun to start this morning with just some interesting facts about Christmas traditions and things that have happened in the past, uh, just some Christmas trivia, if you will, um, as it pertains to some of those things. This one is fascinating to me. Um, I, we've talked about this in the past, but Christmas has been banned before. Um, 
in the U.S., like from, from 1659 to 1681, anyone caught making Mary, uh, this was largely in the Puritan, you know, largely Puritan U.S. colonies, they would face a fine for celebrating. The Massachusetts Bay Colony created what they called the penalty for keeping Christmas. It was thought that, quote, such festivals were superstitiously kept in other countries and were, quote, a great dishonor of God and offense of others. Uh, the penalty for breaking the law was five shillings. And it wasn't until 1870 that Christmas was officially recognized as a federal holiday. That seems like way, like, that's not that, that's too close. Like, that's not long enough ago. Xmas, right? The term Xmas. We uh, maybe have a lot of feelings about that, but it's, it's not a modern development. Um, despite what what has been out there, what what you may have heard, um, it was not this modern movement to, intended to remove the word Christ from Christmas. Uh, it was used back as as far as the 1500s. The X actually has its roots in the Greek letter Chi, uh, which is the first letter in the Greek spelling of Christ. So it was literally just kind of a swap for for Christ, the Greek letter Chi representing Christ. It's a Wonderful Life. Any It's a Wonderful Life fans in here? It was a box office flop. It was a box office flop. Uh, it did not do well in the theaters, and it wasn't until the 70s when it started playing on TV that it became a Christmas classic. Um, so yeah, did not do well in its heyday. Jingle Bells, this is hilarious to me. Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song. Yeah. Yeah, that's a new one. I never, I never knew that. If you've ever wondered why aren't there any Thanksgiving songs, it's because Christmas took them all. Like, there's no... <laughs> and Will's really happy about that. No Thanksgiving songs. Jingle Bells. Originally Thanksgiving song. We're glad that it's no longer Thanksgiving song. And the last one, this is a really cool one that we've learned um, recently, that Martin Luther is credited as the first to light an indoor Christmas tree. So the great reformer was inspired by the stars in the night sky to light his Christmas tree. Now, bear in mind, this would have been a real tree, and he would have been using candles. Um, so it sounds like quite the fire hazard, but uh, nonetheless, he was the first one to do it. So um, pretty cool. So for thousands of years, Christians have been celebrating Christmas, and Advent itself began around the 4th or 5th century. And throughout that time, Christians have picked up different traditions and, you know, often at times I've wondered, like, what's okay? Uh, is it okay if we celebrate this way or this way? And, you know, are, are Christmas trees pagan or like, you know, all those things, just like these things that we kind of wade through. Um, and, and if you're like me and you didn't grow up observing Advent, it, it was just kind of like, well, there's Thanksgiving and, and then Christmas just comes, like suddenly it's here, right? If you didn't grow up doing that, it, it can feel like, how do I incorporate that? How do I think about the Advent season um, starting now, between now and Christmas? What is the purpose of Advent amidst a long history of like very varying traditions? The word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. Uh, and that's a translation of the Greek word per parousia. The Advent season not only symbolizes the waiting for Christ's birth, uh, but also for his second coming, for his final return. I think that observing Advent, um, which is a very Christian way of moving towards Christmas, I, I think doing that sets Christians apart this time of year in a couple of ways. And the first is that 
when we do that, we're putting ourselves into the shoes of those who are waiting for the promised Messiah. And that's, that's significant. We don't do waiting very well. Culturally, we don't do waiting very well. Every day, right now, my five-year-old says, I wish Christmas was tomorrow. And I have an opportunity to help him learn how to wait. Waiting is an act of dependence. And dependence flies in the face of the American virtue of self-reliance. So slowing this season down, waiting for Christmas with the anticipation of the long-awaited Savior is a testimony to the world around us. It's an opportunity. Second, we have another opportunity in this season to put on display the hope of Christ. Hope, it's in the air this time of year, right? Like things around Christmas time just generally seem more hopeful. Christmas movies rarely lack some kind of hopeful theme. There aren't too many uh, Christmas tragedies in film that I'm aware of, at least. Maybe you can come up to me after and tell me some of your favorites. And that's not to say that, that tragedy or pain skips over the season. Certainly that's not true. While many things are joyous and hopeful this time of year for many, it can be more painful because it can come as a reminder that bad things have happened. Or that people, uh, there's people who won't be around the table this year. We certainly don't want to overlook that. Since that's true, the reality of the harshness of life makes no exceptions this time of year. It's all the more reason for the desperate need of the hope of Christ in our world. The way that we normally use the word hope honestly is generally kind of just some type of optimism or wishful thinking. Like I hope, hope this gift is what I wanted. I hope I can get off work early and spend some more time with my family tomorrow. I hope there's not bad weather. I hope my flight isn't delayed. I hope uh, I can make it uh, home for the holidays. Hope the weather is better tomorrow so that I can finish picking up the leaves in my yard. Like we, we use hope in this way that, that is not rooted in any understanding of the outcomes. We have no say, we have no understanding. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen. It, it's just a general optimism. And, and that's not what biblical hope looks like. True hope, biblical hope, biblical hope, the hope of Christ, the hope of Christmas, it's not rooted in my own optimism. It isn't just wishful thinking about the future. The roots run deeper and are connected to something firm, something solid, something true. This hope is rooted in God's faithfulness. Our hope is based on a guarantee, not just wishful thinking. This hope was given to us by God, secured for us by Jesus, and is sustained in us by the Holy Spirit. So God gave it, Jesus secured it, and the Holy Spirit sustains it, as we'll see in our text today. This hope, our hope, to some degree also requires us to look back. It requires us to look to the past, to the present, and to the future. Would you pray with me? So Father, this morning I pray that you would, in, um, you would fill our hearts with your love this morning and with your hope. God, would you help us to be, um, to be rooted and grounded in your love in such a way that the hope that we experience because of your love and because of Jesus Christ is beyond anything that 
anyone has seen. God, the, the people around us are astounded by the hope that just pours out of us. God, would you be with us this morning as we dive into your word, God? We know that it's alive and that it's active. God, would you speak to us? Would you speak through me the words that you would have for this church this morning? God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we step into the Advent season, honestly, it should feel as comfortable as any of those traditions you have with your family. When we light the real and and the proverbial Advent candles, we're making an effort to be reminded of a time when all of the hope that people had for redemption and restoration and, and an end to pain and suffering and evil, all of that was in a future event. It was in a future Messiah who would come at a future date. And we live in an interesting time in history. Because in some ways, the Advent promise for us has already been fulfilled. We look back, we look back in time, we look to the past to see the arrival of the prophesied Messiah, to see the salvation from our sin, to see the restoration of our souls. But we still live in a very broken world, a world not yet marked by the return of Christ, by the total eradication of sin and suffering or pain and death. A world that has not been made new, where we will no longer need the sun because the light of our Savior will shine on us for eternity. We look ahead to that. And so from our vantage point in history, we we look backwards and forwards simultaneously. In that way, being an Advent Christian, to some degree, means we we live in that way. We live in a way where we're looking to the past, we're we're living in the present, we're looking to the future, and, and this hope that we have In the midst of that, where does that come from? Well, it it comes from where it's always come from. It comes from God. Look to the text. May the God of hope, the God of hope. Something I want to do is kind of as we walk through this passage is I want to contrast a little bit how the people of God from Old Testament days would have looked ahead, how how they would have waited for the coming of the Messiah, how that compares with how we should think about this season and how how we process our own hope. Because it's important, again, to understand that anticipation, especially as it relates to how we are again in a waiting period, waiting for Christ's return. So what I want to start with is this question. What was their hope? And where did their hope come from? God promised salvation through the Messiah by the way of the prophets and, and their messianic prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled at least... 300 prophecies that we know of, probably more, probably quite a bit more, Um, but at least 300 prophecies from the Old Testament that we know of. I was going to read 40, and I started doing this, and I was like, I can't, I don't have time to read 40, but I'll read 15. Here they are. This is just 15 Old Testament messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, that the Messiah would be resurrected, that the Messiah would bring in a new covenant, that the Messiah would be forsaken and pierced, but vindicated. That the Messiah would be reject, the rejected cornerstone. That the Messiah would do life-affirming redemptive deeds. That the Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would come according to a timetable. The Messiah would be a suffering servant, like you see in Isaiah 53. The Messiah would bear our sins and suffer in our place. The Messiah would not remain dead. 
the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. The Messiah would be called God's son. The Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The Messiah would be a willing sacrifice. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's just 15. Um, I had 25 more ready to go that were all different, but didn't have time for that. But go look that up. There's a lot, over 300. So for hundreds of years, God gave his people these prophecies, pointing them to the coming Messiah, the God of hope, giving his people hope. And everything God had said he would do, he had done. And so his people put their hope in this coming Messiah as something they knew would come to pass. The pattern of the Old Testament is God continuously raising someone up to being his representative to lead his people. And that, and that pattern started with Moses. But these representatives, they weren't perfect. They're flawed. They sin. They ultimately can't fulfill that role. And God says, one day there's a Messiah who's coming who will be able to do all of these things perfectly. And through him... I will redeem not only you, but, but the nations. Just good news for us. And then more time passes, over 400 years from the closing of the Old Testament, over 400 years of silence, no prophets, no word from God, just watching and waiting and hoping. All while living in captivity under the rule of other nations, though waiting alongside suffering. They were living in a constant cycle of captivity and then freedom and then war and then being conquered and then back to captivity again. Yeah, man, it's easy to understand if, if their hope in the Messiah was wavering. Maybe even drifting closer to something more akin to wishful thinking, right? And that, that's the world, that's the ethos, that's what was happening uh, when Jesus was born. The captivity, the suffering, the, the cycle of destruction and that's why some people thought Jesus was going to come as a military conqueror and free them from Roman opposition. It's why Herod got scared when the wise men showed up and ordered every child under the age of two to be killed. He was scared of this coming conquering king to remove this physical captivity from the people. If anyone knew how to wait with hope, it would have been these folks. And yet... And yet, some of them missed it. Some of them came face to face with Jesus. The man they had been hearing about their whole lives. And it was either too wonderful or not wonderful enough. And they missed it. If you're looking for hope this morning, if you are far from God or you're at the end of your rope and your life feels like a cycle of destruction, don't miss it. Don't miss him. Because this is the hope that God gives you today. Not that I or anyone else in this building can give to you, but this is the hope. This is the hope that comes from God. That God, in order to end our suffering and right the wrong, that ultimately we were responsible for, he stepped down into humanity. He put on flesh. He lived on the block. He took on our suffering. The God-man, Jesus Christ, was born as a baby to a virgin mother, which is important because it means that his true father was God. And he was not corrupted by the sin nature of mankind. And so this baby grew up to be a man who lived a sinless 33 years and then suffered and died so that he could become what the Bible calls the propitiation of our sin. Which is a fancy way to say that he made the payment with his blood. 
And then on the third day after dying, he was raised from the dead and he lives today. People who had been waiting their whole lives for this good news missed it. They missed it. And maybe you don't realize it. Maybe, maybe you've been waiting for that news your whole life too. Don't miss it. Don't miss him today. Don't miss him this Christmas. Our hope, our hope, it looks in two directions. It looks, it looks back in, our, in faith in what God has done, faith and belief in what the Bible says, and then it looks forward too, to the end of all time, when God will make all things new, when we will be resurrected, when we will be living in Jesus' presence, when we live in a world where sin and death are destroyed forever and moth and rust cannot decay. And in both cases, in, in the Old Testament, the people who looked forward to the coming Messiah and us today where we look both ways, our hope comes from the God of hope. This is a God-given hope that we can embrace this morning. So God gives it and Jesus secured it. Keep reading. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Uh, hope and believing, or hope and faith, uh, they're, they're like siblings sharing a bed on a family vacation. We, we took our kids camping in a cabin a couple months back, and there were only two beds. And so Hal, who's five, and Theo, who's two, had to share a bed for the first time ever. And it was the only way that the trip was going to work, and anyone was going to get any sleep. And the first night was difficult, to say the least. Uh, it was rough. But they finally, they finally got the hang of it, and it was, it was sweet. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that analogy breaks down, because, I don't know, faith and hope are not like brothers who kick each other and, and whine and can't go to sleep. But my point is they're very close. Faith and hope are very close. Hope is born out of faith. fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And we know that faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that. So the God of hope gives us faith so that we will be filled with peace and with joy and with hope. The object of our faith is the source of our hope in this case. If, if I look at my weather app on my phone, and it says that tomorrow it's going to be clear skies and it's going to be sunny. And if I choose to believe that, because we, we all know how the, the weather app can miss uh, a lot. Uh, but if I choose to believe that, then that becomes my hope for better weather tomorrow, right? I put my faith in what this says, that becomes the source of my hope for tomorrow. And like that, just, just like the Old Testament Israelites had to put their faith in God and his promise of a future Messiah, and we have put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection, that then becomes the source of our hope. It is our belief in Jesus conquering death and his resurrected body that gives us hope for a future where death is not the end. We will rise in Christ and be given new bodies as well. So if you find yourself growing weary in the wait, if you look at the world around us and the suffering seems overwhelming, look to the cross. Remind yourself that because of what Christ has done, there is a future. 
and there is a hope and that there is a world that is coming when all pain and suffering and death will come to an end. There will be no more sadness, the Bible says, and he will wipe away every tear. When our hope is waning, we have to go to the source. object of our faith is the source of our hope, and when our hope is waning, we need to return to the source. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5, 1 through 5. This hope that we have has been secured by Jesus Christ and what he's done. So God gave it, Jesus secured it, and then what happens? The Holy Spirit sustains it. The Holy Spirit sustains it so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may abound in hope. Well, how is our hope maintained? That word there uh, for abound is the Greek word perisuo, and it means an overabundance, an overabundance. It's more than you need. The Holy Spirit sustains you in hope by giving you more hope than you could possibly need. You're given an overabundance of it. And in 2 Kings 4, there was a widow and she goes to the prophet of God and she doesn't have a way to provide for herself. Her husband has died and she doesn't have any family members who can help take care of her. She has young sons at home that she's trying to provide for. She doesn't know what to do. She goes to the prophet of God and he tells her, he asks her, what do you have? What do you have? She's like, well, I, I just have a little bit of oil. That's all I've got. He's like, okay, well, go gather as many jars as you can. And then I want you to go back home and I want you to just start pouring oil into the jars until you run out. And so she does that and it fills all the jars, fills all the jars. Um, she goes back. She's like, hey, to the point where she's like, we need more jars. We need more jars where there's still more oil. And her sons are like, we, we ran out of jars. We don't have any more jars. So she goes back to the prophet. The prophet says, okay, that, this is what you do. You're going to take all this excess. You have all this oil. This is way more than you need. These are really large jars. And you're going to go sell it. And then you're going to take those proceeds and that's going to provide for you. This woman who was in desperate need desperate need, went to speak to the person that she knew to talk to, uh, to go to God. And God did this work of overabundance in her life. He provided her with way more than she could possibly, possibly need. He's the God of overabundance. This is a, a, a great picture for us when we are at the end of ourselves and we, we don't know what to do. We don't know who to go to. We don't know how we're going to make it through this next season of life. We return to the source. We go to God. 
we ask him for his sustaining power in his Holy Spirit to give us that abundance, that overabundance of hope, that, that more than we need, that more than we can ask for or even imagine. And he's wanting to do that work in you and in me today. Our hope is maintained, it's sustained in the power of the Holy Spirit by an overabundance of, of it that he gives to us. The other thing the Spirit does, I mean, it, it says the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is at work in you, empowering you daily for the work of life, for the work of ministry, for the work of kingdom work. We talked about having our eyes in the past, our eyes to the future, but we can't forget about the present too. Our hands are here. Our hands are in the present, hands right, right now. And the Holy Spirit right now empowers you to do the work of God's kingdom. That is part of that process. You have this overabundance of hope, an overabundance of hope that, that he gives you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, what do we do with that? Man, we, we need to share that. When I have more of what I need of something, that is a way that God is telling me, hey, you need to give that away. That is something to share. That is something to share. That's, that's with anything in our lives, honestly, when God gives us an abundance of something, he does that so that we can be generous, so that we can give that away to other people, and it's no different with hope. It's no different with hope, especially this time of year in this season. Man, people want they crave it. They are craving, they are desperate for some kind of real, true hope. It's not just, not just some wishful thinking about how my day might be better tomorrow. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a hope that extends beyond, it extends beyond my own physical life on this earth, right? So it, it, it's this, it's something that goes beyond myself that is hard for those around us to even process, but they need it. They need it. And so we do that by um, being open to, to where the Spirit leads us, by, by allowing God to empower us and, and asking him. Like if you, ask, if you ask God, if you pray, and you ask God to show you the ways that you can put your hands to work in his kingdom, he will do that for you. He will. He will. He will do that for you. He will give you those opportunities. But we can't, we can't miss those opportunities. Like we can't be, we have to be paying attention. We have to be asking him for that. We have to hold fast to this hope as the anchor of our soul, Hebrews says. We can do that because we know. We know that Christ has gone before us. We know that he's preparing a home for us. We know that we're gonna join him before too long. So we look to the past. We, we rest on what God has said in his word. We put our faith in what Jesus Christ accomplished. We live in the present because the Holy Spirit empowers us to abound in hope and to do God's kingdom work, to keep our hands in the dirt, even though our eyes are to the future. And then we look ahead here from Revelation and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall, be, shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. We look to the future because we're citizens of heaven. Our hands are in the dirt, but our eyes are on heaven. Our hope is not wishful thinking, but it is a certainty that God will do what he said he was going to do because of all the things we know he's already done. God gives us this hope. Jesus secured this hope. The Holy Spirit sustains this hope in us. So if you remember from the movie, A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, he had this absurd frugality and obsession over saving a buck. Uh, and it was totally rooted in thinking that the material world and maximizing his control over the flow of his own money were the only things in his life that mattered. He was devoid of any joy, any real peace, and certainly any hope that wasn't connected to his pocketbook. He lived as a miserable man who made everyone around him miserable. And I'm sure you remember how the story goes. One night he's visited by three spirits, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And at the end of that spectral thrill ride, he's a changed man. He sees his error. The next day he begins generously giving away his fortune to help those who are less fortunate. Uh, it's a great story made for a great Muppet movie. Uh, we, watch, we watch that one every year. And yeah, it's a fictional story, but without anything to connect Scrooge to, to, to anything beyond himself, like the ending can feel a little wanting. At, at the beginning of the story, Scrooge had his aim way too low. And I would argue by the end of the story, his, his aim or his gaze actually wasn't lifted high enough. It's one thing to help those less fortunate than yourselves with material needs. And I'm not saying that's something we should neglect. We, we should do that. Um, but it is a totally different thing to have our eyes opened and lifted to the end of all things, to making heaven our aim. By the end of the story, Scrooge's aim was, was still the earth, just a little bit higher. He was just aimed at humanity. He became a humanitarian. Humanitarianism can feel noble, but it can still be devoid of real hope. C.S. Lewis said this of hope and our need to aim higher. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that continually looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Waiting with hope means we have our eyes towards heaven and our hands in the dirt. If we live like that, if we can keep the hope of Advent, the hope of Christmas, the hope of a not so far off future where everything promised us will be fulfilled, then perhaps we can say with greater truth and purpose and conviction what Scrooge said at the end of his story. 
that I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. As we wait with Advent hope, let's look back to what God has done, have our eyes open to what he's doing right now, and look ahead with an overabundance of hope to what he will do at the end of all things. Would you pray with me? God, this morning we, um, we come to you just a thankful people, thank, with thankful and glad hearts. God, that you, you came in the way that you did, that your ways are perfect, and that you have revealed yourself to us that you have made it known to us how you came, what you've done, the great deeds that you have accomplished for, for us and on our behalf. God, I pray this morning that you would help us to um, step into this season uh, with, with thankfulness, God, with clear hearts, with clear eyes, uh, able to see things for what they are, able to um, hold on with steadfastness to the faith that you have given us in Jesus Christ and to be able to look ahead and wait with certainty and with hope and with gratitude and with patience for your return. And that in the meantime, God, that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would empower us individually and as a church to do the works that you have prepared for us. God, would you fill all of us with your hope? Whatever situations we find ourselves in, whatever um, difficulties or brokenness or pain, God, you are a God who, who loves to draw near to your people. Your word says that you mend broken hearts. Your word says that you delight in healing us, making us new, restoring us. So God, that's my prayer this morning. Is that no matter, no matter where any of us finds ourselves today, God, that we would be stopped dead in our tracks by your goodness, by your grace, by your mercy, that we would be able to remember and call to mind the good deeds that you have done and that you would continuously pour out and pour into us the hope of future glory. Of that far off country in the distance where, where God, you have made all things new. You've made all things right once and for all.
God, where comfort is needed, would you provide it? Where healing is needed, would you provide it? Where wholeness and restoration is needed, would you provide it this morning? We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So.